0: Let's take our Bibles at this time and take up and read them at Exodus chapter 10. Exodus chapter 10, we are in the middle of the plagues, in fact, at plague 8 and 9, we read these. The Word of God recording this for us infallibly and for distinct purposes, as we shall see. You now the Word of God. Now the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son the mighty things I have done in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron came in to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. Or else if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory. and They shall cover the face of the earth so that no one will be able to see the earth. And they shall eat the residue of what is left which remains to you from the hail, and they shall eat every tree which grows up for you out of the field. They shall fill your houses, the houses of all your servants, and the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither your fathers nor your fathers' fathers have seen since the day that they were on the earth to this day. And he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, said to Pharaoh, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? So Moses and Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go serve the Lord your God. Who are the ones that are going? And Moses said, We will go with our young and our old. With our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds, we will go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. Then he said to them, The Lord had better be with you when I let you and your little ones go. Beware, for evil is ahead of you. Not so. Go now, you who are men, and serve the Lord, for that is what you desired. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, that they may come upon the land of Egypt, and eat every herb of the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind on the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. And the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt and rested on all the territory of Egypt. They were very severe. Previously, there had been no such locusts as they, nor shall there be such after them. For they covered the face of the whole earth, so that the land was darkened. And they ate every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left. So there remained nothing green on the trees or on the plants of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, please forgive my sin only this once, and entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. So he went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And the Lord turned a very strong west wind, which took the locusts away and blew them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in all the territory of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go serve the Lord, only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Let your little ones also go with you. But Moses said, You must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. For we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God, and even we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take heed to yourself, and see my face no more. For in the day you see my face... You shall die. So Moses said, You have spoken well. I will never see your face again. Thus far, we read this chapter, a somber chapter of judgment, but also this glad chapter of mercy, light and darkness, the face of the land, and in the dwelling places of Egyptians and Israelites. Exodus 10, as we just read, is the record of the eighth and ninth plagues of God upon Egypt. We would remind ourselves of two purposes of God in these plagues, not only in the eighth and the ninth, but also in all of them. The purpose, we should know negatively, is not to give Pharaoh a chance by these plagues, as if God would, hoping he would repent. Instead, is to show the glory of God in the signs and wonders and in raising up Pharaoh to harden him in judgment. Exodus 9, 14 through 16, which was our focused text on the last sermon, reminds us of this. Moses and Aaron are to say to Pharaoh, let my people go, for at this time, Exodus 9, 14, I will send all my plagues to th- your very heart and on your servants and on your people. That The purpose is that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Now, if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this purpose, I raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all of the earth. That's the first purpose, to show the glory of God even in the hardening of Pharaoh and in the exodus of the people of God. The second purpose is listed in our text. The purpose of the plagues, the signs and wonders in Egypt, upon Israel and upon the Egyptians, is that we may tell our children and theirs of these wonders and may tell the whole world besides. So, Exodus 10, Now the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart, and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him, and that you, Israel, may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son the mighty things I have done in Egypt, and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So, two purposes, that God's glory may be known, and second, that we may tell the world of God's glory. In fact, beloved, this is for today in this we are to witness that we are the people of the exodus from sin. We are the ones who, tells, uh, the world, who tell the world of the purposes of God to magnify his name and of the calling of God to repent and of the calling of the Pharaoh, to the pharaohs of the world to let the people of God go and to sin no more and to be a snare to them no more. We are called to call people to repentance and to faith in Jesus And if there is no faith to warn them that God will not divert the plagues of his own wrath and the day is coming when the judgment shall be swift and final and eternal. Beloved, we are called here to show forth the darkness and the light of God eternally and of God, the holiness of God eternally and his darkness and light in this world. So let's consider two things, darkness And the light. The eighth plague. The locusts. I want to say as an introduction to this uh, minor point here about the locusts. Is that this plague, as well as the others before and the one after. Is due to the darkness of deviltry. In fact, that's the metaphor on which I would speak of. Not only the darkness that is real in the ninth plague but of the sinfulness of Pharaoh in all of this. And you see this. It's the darkness of deviltry, I say, in light of what the whole Bible says darkness is. Satan here in Exodus, or Satan here, is is revealed in Pharaoh. And Pharaoh is a picture of the devil who holds the truth under in unrighteousness, defies God, and refuses to let the people go. He is the picture of the Old Testament par excellence of the ruler of the darkness of the powers of the air. As Luther said in his great hymn, he is the prince of darkness, grim is Satan. And here we see this throughout this narrative once again. He is hard to the things of God. That's no little thing. He is hardening himself. He is hardened. And God is hardening. And this is brought out, this hardening of God as a judicial judgment upon him for his wickedness in these last of the plagues of this third series of plagues, the seventh, eighth, and ninth. Also, it will be in the last plague of the killing of the firstborn. This is the Egyptian pharaoh who leads the whole Egyptian world and God has written this down right here in the book of Exodus to remind us of what this world is all about. There are pharaohs in this world, and we'll, we'll mention some of them later on, but they are pictures of the pharaoh of old representing Satan. It is striking that when Moses and Aaron announce that there will be an eighth plague unless pharaoh repents, there is a rehearsal of the wickedness of of Pharaoh. Moses and Aaron, verse 3 of chapter 10, they come to Pharaoh and they say to him, this is after the seventh plague of hail, they say to him, thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. Note there the rebuke. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Here's what Satan's problem is. Pride. The magnification of self. He's esteemed as a god. He himself esteems himself as a god. Even the god of gods, if the people would have it so. He allows that there be other gods, of the Nile and the frogs and so on, and even of the sun. But he himself would consider himself to be the chief god and over against Moses, Moses' God, over against all creation, and over against uh, the people of God themselves. Pride. This is what Satan's uh, vice is. It's the vice of vices when he comes to the people of God and says, you can be as God if you just disobey God. Well, that's because he himself would like to be as God. And this is what Pharaoh is trying to do here. Now, the world's darkness and evil is seen especially in its not letting the people of God go. This is, again, an explanation for all of history, the enmity of the seed of the woman against the seed of the Satan, this friction between them, which is a veritable spiritual wall Separating them. God puts that enmity so that the people of God will know their distinction and they will ever live antithetically. Big word for live for the truth and against the world or in the light as children of light against the children of darkness who love the darkness rather than the light. Jesus is at the heart of this, of course, and when John reminds us that when Jesus came, And he was born, and his own received him not. This was the world, that is, the religious world, loving darkness rather than light. So this is the darkness here that's the setting and will be the setting for the eighth plague. Well, now, after the seventh plague and after the announcement of Moses and after the warning that even Pharaoh's servants give to him, reminding him that all of the world of Egypt is destroyed now, and how long shall this man be a snare to us, a trap, so that we're going to be destroyed? Let him go. I say, after that, Moses has warned him, and God through him, and the servants of Egypt have warned Pharaoh. Nevertheless, Pharaoh continues to play his games. And this is from verse 7 and on. Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? Get your head out of your your pillow, Pharaoh. Look around you. The world is destroyed. The world, the kingdom of, of Egypt. And So Moses and Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh. He listened to the servants, and he said to them, Go serve the Lord your God. And then you can imagine him saying, Oh, as they're leaving, Oh, just, just one question. Who are the ones that are going? And here he's coming up with his tricks. And Moses said, we will go with our young and our old and our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds. We will go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. And then Pharaoh says to them, the Lord had better be with you when I let you and your little ones go, far be it from me. That, that's, that's crazy for me. Beware for evil is ahead of you. Not so it will not be that you and your children, implied in that is their wives, will all go to worship the Lord. Go now, he says, you who are men and serve the Lord, for that's what you desired. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. So once again, Pharaoh is bargaining. He's bargained uh, the first time when he said, you can go, but only a little ways away. And then he says, you can go, but make sure you're still in the land of Egypt. And now he bargains here. He uses the women and the children as hostages. He'll keep them. And the men can go. So it's on Pharaoh's terms. But they can't go completely and they will have to come back because he will hold the children and the women hostage. So this is... Beloved, another example of evil. It's Pharaoh at work, it's the devil at work. Again, with regard to the kingdom of God, God has said, this and this and this, you will say to Pharaoh, this and this and this is necessary for you to do to go out of Egypt land and serve me. And Pharaoh says, only this and only that and only that. And as the heat is turned up, he's still playing his games, wants to manipulate the Exodus. Imagine that. The Exodus is the prime example of God delivering his people. Pharaoh wants to be the prime example of a devil prohibiting the people of God from leaving sin and leaving um, his servitude. And so here is evil. Therefore, the darkness of judgment. Again, I'm u- using this metaphor even with, with locusts to describe this darkness, this, this happening of this plague of locusts, even as a darkness. And it's the darkness, we should know, which is telling of the wrath of God. The darkness is the darkness of the world. It's an evil thing in the Bible. You only find it being used of evil things, but also of the evil day, of the God in whom is no darkness and only light, It is said that there's an evil day, a day of judgment, the day of his wrath, in which he will plague the world with with darkness and then eventually punish them with the outer darkness of hell. And darkness is therefore his condemnation and death. It's the absence of life because there's the absence of light. And this is what this symbolizes here, even the locust will symbolize this. It's an example of God's killing wrath and a striking example. In fact, locusts in the Bible are striking examples of God's wrath and the darkness of the end of time and judgment. In Joel 2.25, locusts are called the great armies of God. They are hosts to do his bidding. They are... Those who are sent here, and Psalm 105 rehearses for us just what this was all about. 34, 35, he spoke, and locusts came, young locusts without number. They would be born, and then they would chew up all of the leaves and ate up all the vegetation in their land and devoured the fruit of their ground. This was quite a plague of locusts as the Bible even says in Exodus 10, never had been seen, never would be seen afterwards. This plague of these locusts, you know what these are, children? They're giant grasshoppers. And God sends them uh, so that he he calls this east wind. And uh, this is verse 13 and following, to blow on the land all that day and all that night. And when the morning, it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts and the locusts went up over the land, all the land of Egypt and rested on all the territory of Egypt. They were very severe. Previously, there had been no such locusts as they, nor shall there be after them, for they covered the face of the whole earth so that the land was darkened. And they ate every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left. Now there's really going to be nothing to eat. So there remained nothing green on the trees or on the plants of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. So there they were, the locusts, not only in the land, but in the houses, filling the houses of Egypt, the Bible says. In fact, it's the opposite of the blessing of God. The blessing of God is described in the Psalms and Proverbs as a man's barns being filled with good things of the earth. The opposite of that is your house being filled with locusts and crawling things all over your bed and in your cupboards and everything else. It's like... It is, they're commanded of God. Now, you go into this place, and you tell this place, which is following Pharaoh, and who's a dark leader, to be sure, he's a dark Vader kind of guy. He's a devil kind of guy. He is the one who's saying to you something, and he's saying to you to submit, you houses of Israel, and you're cursed as you follow him. Revelation 9, verse 3 through 10. You should read that on your own. But there's a picture of some of the last plagues upon this world before the end of time. Locusts are some of the last plagues. And you know, you know where they come from? They come from a place called the abyss, the bottomless pit. The Antichrist is their king, Apollyon, he's called. And this points to the everlasting destruction the devil is the one behind the locusts, but also God is using the devil for these locusts to serve his cause. So this is all this darkness. And then there's something worse, if possible, the reaction of Pharaoh to this, this, uh, th- this locust, these, these locusts, which I call darkness. After the locusts are there, They've done their munching. Pharaoh calls for Moses and Aaron in haste and says, I've sinned against the Lord, the Lord your God, he says, and I've sinned against you. He even says this, now therefore please forgive my sin only this once and entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. Just that, just take away the locusts. That's what he's saying. And then Moses goes out and the and the locusts are swept by another wind into the Red Sea, and there's not one of them left in the the land. But now, this, I say, is another instance of deviltry. The, The Pharaoh here is playing, playing at repentance. He's not repentant. When I said this is an admission of sin, an admission of guilt, he even prays for forgiveness, but it's not a confession of sin. It's not anything at all, like some of the Psalms we just sang, where we, we admit our sin and we're sorry for sin. This is an ungodly sorrow for sin. It's a, an admission, I have sinned, God is righteous, I am unrighteous, and I plead for forgiveness, but it's not a confession of sin worked by the Holy Spirit. This is evidence in the fact that even though the plague is stayed, the Lord God hardens Pharaoh. And beloved, we know from the Bible that God hears true uh, uh, pleas for forgiveness. And so what's being told here is that Pharaoh was a fake. Once again, playing with things of God, playing around with this religion thing and, and even pleading to Moses to entreat God to deliver the plague and the death and so on. But he is a scoundrel in all these doing is manipulating as he, if he could, the exodus itself. So that's the darkness of the locust, the darkness of Pharaoh that prompts it, the darkness of the judges of God, judgment of God, and the darkness of Pharaoh's reaction to it. But now you have, in the ninth plague, the culmination of all of the other plagues hitherto. And you could describe this as the real darkness of which all of the other plagues were just foreshadowings. They were shadows compared to the real darkness of the ninth plague. Really amazing is this plague. It's the darkest darkness of God himself. If you look at Psalm 105, which is a rehearsal of the Deliverance of God through the mighty plagues, Psalm 105 and verse 28. you find, in fact, that when God performs wonders and signs in the land of Ham, that's Egypt, verse 28, he lists darkness at the heading of all the plagues. He sent darkness and made it dark. And they did not rebel against his word. He turned their waters to blood. Well, that's the first plague. But the first one is darkness. I think that's significant. And God is reminding us that this darkness is unique of all the plagues. In fact, it's unique of all the darknesses there ever have been. There's been dark and stormy nights, haven't there? In our experience, especially as old-timers, we've seen many a storm, many a tornado, maybe some of us, some hurricanes, hailstorms, and whatever. But this darkness is the darkness of all darknesses. It could be felt says the scripture, and it was for three days. And the Bible even says in Revelation 16, verse 15, which speaks of darkness, that it is a pain. It's a sore pain. Now, just a moment on that. The darkness that could be felt and was painful, and that's, that's a strange way of describing it, was uh, some people say, it was because the darkness was a sandstorm. Now, you haven't read that in your Bible, nor have I, but they'll use texts like Revelation 16 to say that the revel- because of the darkness is a pain at the end of time, and therefore it was in the land of Egypt, they say, it's because of the stinging sand that for three days obscured the sun, and therefore uh, it was dark. Well, beloved, No, the Bible says it's darkness, not a sandstorm. God does use secondary causes, as we say. He uses frogs to plague the land, and he uses other things. But he sends darkness here, and darkness for three days and nights, only in the houses of the Egyptians and in the land of Egypt, and not in the houses of the Israelites. And it's a darkness that could be felt because probably this was a plague that was sent to the heart. We read of that in Exodus 9. I'm going to send my plagues to your heart, and you're going to know that I am speaking here in my wrath. And so the darkness was scary indeed. In the darkness, even though God could not be seen and never is seen by the wicked, They knew God as never before. The darkness of those in hell who, upon whom the plague of hell comes and who feel hell because they know the presence of the angry God. Sinner, that's what hell's like. They're feeling this darkness. This was not a sandstorm, but a God storm wrath. In fact, the Egyptians could not see one another. That's striking. They were touched by the darkness, and they did not see one another, verse 23. Imagine that. Children, you're in your house, and the lights go off. You ever have that? The electricity goes out. How far worse it is when God goes out. When he abandons you, when he abandons sinners, this kind of darkness was felt not only, but you could never get used to it. You know how it is. When it gets dark, our eyes get used to the to the darkness. We can adjust somewhat. We walk a little bit trepidatiously, fearfully, but we can walk and we can get by. They couldn't. They dared not move from their homes thinking, Maybe it would be worse outside. I don't know. They were there, and as one has pointed out, this was three days it lasted. But really, that's six days of darkness. That's 24 hours of darkness uh, times three. So it's three uh, times two. It's not just the day that was dark and the night that was dark. There were three days and nights that were dark. So this was a long time and this was, in fact, a picture of hell, the curse, the outer darkness of hell. What is striking here, as we've been saying all along, is that there's a revelation here of God who is over all the creation. He made the sun. He can unmake the sun. He can cause the sun to stop shining without killing off the earth and freezing and so on. God's the God of miracle; He does all of these things. And he makes this darkness to happen to combat principally the chief god of the Egyptians, Ra. And Ra was the sun god. We've named some of the gods, funny names for funny gods. Why would people put their trust in the Nile River, for example, or in frogs? But people trusted in the sun. And they offered themselves and other things to the sun god, Ra, in order that they might have uh, a good sun that wouldn't burn up their crops, but would bring life to them. Interestingly as well, look at the name Pharaoh. Pharaoh is his name. Pharaoh, and some have derived from that the fact that in Pharaoh's name itself was the God, the God's name, Ra of the sun. He of all the powers in the world represented Ra, the sun god, And God is saying, ha, ha, you're no God, I am God. and I'm God of over all the land, and I'm the God of my people in whom I let their light shine. Now, Pharaoh, at this time, talking about darkness again, shows his uh, evil once again in chapter 10 and verse 24, when he says, He calls to Moses and says, go serve the Lord, only let your flocks and your herds be kept back, let your little ones also go with you, at which time Moses says, no, you can't do that, and Pharaoh has a last word to say to him. So here's Pharaoh, the fourth time he said uh, something to try to manipulate the Exodus, get it on his terms so that he gets the glory and then he gets the people back to serve him. And here you see what he's doing is is tempting Moses. He said, just just keep the herds back. And so that's reasonable. Moses is bold. Moses says, no, not a hoof shall be left behind. And what he's saying by this is that all the possessions we have are God's. And besides, God has said, you go with your herds. And we're not listening to you, Pharaoh. We're listening to God. That's why we're worshiping him because is a God worth listening to. Besides that, though it's hard to see how Moses and the Israelites could have known this because the sacrifices weren't instituted at that time, they needed the herds for sacrifices, or they would, as pictures of the sacrifices, they would give as the constituted people of God. So the herds represented all that Christ is represented by in those herds and those sacrifices. And so Pharaoh is basically saying what all the world today says, we don't like your Christ. We are not happy with your Jesus, you church men and women and children. They don't like this because he claims to be exclusively the Savior and the God of Israel. Well, Pharaoh's reaction as well shows his evil after Moses says, not one hoof shall be, shall be left behind, the Lord hardens Pharaoh's hearts. This is the last verses of the text. Then we'll wrap up things by some, by some statements. And Pharaoh said, Get away from me. Take heed to yourself and see my face no more. For in the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses says, You've spoken well. I will never see your face again. Once again, darkness of Pharaoh, the evil. I want to say something, beloved, in application to today and then move on to the final point of light. Egypt, the world, as we've been seeing, is a a picture of the world, the world at all times. Described that way in the Bible with Babylon. Egypt and Babylon especially are the places of ill repute forever, uh, labeled in the Bible as places of darkness, as the world of darkness. The whole world lies in wickedness. It's ignorant of God, pushes down in wicked suppression any truth of God that it learns from creation and especially that it learns from the people of God. It's a picture, is Egypt, of its sins and of its its pharaohs. There's this pharaoh here representing what I would... um, commend for your thinking all of the powers that be in this world. All of the powers that be, authorities, cultural influences, PhDs at Harvard University, and, and all of the, the think tanks, and, and all of the, the, the men in whatever uh, garb they wear to describe their authority. Pharaoh is pictured in them, and they are... Representatives now of Pharaoh, who at every step are bent and determined to silence the people of God, to tempt the people of God, to lead us and our children by its culture, by its mandates, by its restrictions, into something less than an exodus. That's Pharaoh way back then in the exodus. Dark sins worthy of dark judgments. But, beloved, this is happening Today, there are Pharaohs today, powers that would enslave you. I know we're a people of the Exodus already. We have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. We're on the other side of the cross. But we all know we have this flesh and we have this hankering toward the things of Egypt, the world, the sin and the stuff of the devil. And you young people and your children are tempted to go back, only to go part way out of Egypt. Or the parents maybe are tempted. Let's let's go, but let's not let's not do this raising children thing. That's too hard. We got the schools for that in the public school system. We'll just let them take care of our kids. Glad to have them out of the house by the time they get to be three years old or so, so that. Uh, They can have this pre-pre-K program. Beloved, this is the culture leading the way. It is this force of conformity. It is this force of humanity that would make us all humanists, those who are truly not theologians and worshipers of God. It's all about men and society and peace It's all about how to protect the children in the schools from perpetrators, from molesters, and from people who shoot up the place. It's all for that. And it's all, well, if we throw money at it, if we have another policy, if we would do this and that and the other thing, then we can have a world that's worth living in and a humanity that's advanced and people who get to decide for themselves what they want to be, where they want to go to worship, whoever God they want to worship. They decide for themselves what sex they want to be, who they want to marry, even if it's another one of, an, of the same sex who they want to be, even if it's not a human. I identify as a dog or a chicken or something like that. It's absolutely ridiculous. The darkness of God's judgments are upon this world today. We live far, far away from Pharaoh's Egypt and the ten plagues, but, beloved, it's real. And the, the way we know that this is real and this is typological of the judgments at the end of time is because Revelation, you go through 9 through 16, it all speaks of these plagues. I don't think any one plague is left out just about. And they're all saying this is to come, and this is the evidence of the wrath of God. Plagues like these, plagues like, well, the COVID plague, and the worst plague, the government response to it, plagues like people, and societies full of people who say, let that people only go so far, that people, the people of God or tempts them even to stay with them in their bars, in their movie houses, in front of their televisions together, drinking beers and rooting for the same Super Bowl team. Beloved, who are we? How do we respond to the darkness of this world and the plagues of God that are upon this world? And... How do we respond when people have, it seems, their own solutions to the problems of mankind? Whether it's a problem out of a cave, bats in China, or whether it's a problem in our own society, a problem of this or that, discrimination, whatever you want to say. How how do we respond to that? How do we respond to the darkness that has the appearance of light? And the prosperity, the great temptation to be Egyptian and love the prosperity more than God and be thankful for the blessings and not even know from whence they come. Darkness is the reaction of the world and its leaders to the judgments. They have no solutions. It's striking. They're just like Pharaoh too, not only in their compromises, but in their fake apologies. Have we noticed that? It's almost as if the world apologizes for itself. And the actors and the, and the real the elite in Hollywood and all of the famous people of the world who think they're experts on everything, they think they have to give back to society. They want to feel good about themselves. And the government decides that we've got to apologize to the blacks or whoever else and pay reparations. Got to apologize because students, oh, you have so much debt, you got into it, of course, but we're going to pay it for you. This is sick, and I'm not trying to be political here. This is spiritual. It's, it's meeting together, isn't it? The things of the Bible and the things of all time that's hastening along to the end getting darker and darker and darker. And this only goes to serve the highlight the light. Final point. The land of Goshen is exempt by implication, though it's not said, from the plague of locusts. That's where Israel is. And As it is said, exempt from the darkness of the darkness of the three days. The dwellings of Israel have light. This is amazing. The dwellings of Israel have light. And there were people dwelling not only in the northern part in Goshen, but in different places of Egypt. The Israelites were. But all their dwellings had light. And the houses of the Egyptians were all dark. And what kind of light was this, you think? What kind of light? Think it was a lamp? Think they had oil and they lit? The, no. It was a miracle. As the darkness of God was a miracle. A darkness that could be felt was a miracle. A darkness that made the people tremble as dead men and couldn't even see themselves after three days of darkness. You couldn't get used to it. Nobody can get used to God, beloved. And that's what He's saying. You can't get used to me. You can't use me. You can't bring me down to your level. You can't bring my plagues down to your level of what you think is bad. You can't bring my blessings down to your level of what you think is good. But the children of Israel had liked Why? Mercy. That's why. They were God's people. And God had said earlier, earlier on, I'm going to make a distinction between you and the Egyptians. Was it because they were any better? No, they weren't, not in themselves. After 400 years in this bondage, they've become rather Egyptian. And as they are delivered, and as they complain once again, they say over and over again, they show over and over again, they're just like the Egyptians. They've adopted their gods. They make idols and calves and dance around them at Sinai, but grace and the creation of God. I believe this is a created light. It wasn't lamps that lit their homes. God did. The God who said in the beginning, let there be light before there was a sun, could say in this dwelling place and in that, let there be light. And the sun was out. And the sun and every other source of light you could imagine was nowhere. Even imagine the fireflies' light was dimmed. Nobody. But the Israelites had light. What an amazing thing. Speaks of the fact that they had life, because light is a picture of, of life. Jehovah is my light, we say. We are children of light, Ephesians 5, verse 8, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. The God who commanded light to shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2, verse 9, we're translated out of darkness into the marvelous light of God. These people of all people had grace to them and life in them, and they couldn't turn it off. Amazing how you go up to the on the switches. You turn that light off, you turn that light on. Not this light. Can't turn off the light of God. Even as the Egyptians couldn't turn on the light. Maybe they tried their switches, whatever they had. Didn't work. No light. Tried this and that. Maybe they tried to think together, think out of this, be enlightened? No. They were in the dark, but the people of God in the light. Amazing. Amazing truths here, uh, into which I don't want to go too much. But this is something of the preservation of the saints, doesn't it? Here's the light. You can't turn it off. Here's the life of God. You can't kill it. Even as those in the dark can't turn on the light, can't say, Now I decide to be enlightened. So the Israelites had this light that could be not turned off, this life that could not be taken away. This is all, of course, through Jesus, and the 10th plague is all about him. Jesus, the light of the world. Jesus, who is the revealed savior of sinners, who calls people out of darkness by his own spirit, but before that, who's given them the right to life. That's the only right to life that anybody has. From womb to tomb, the only right to life is through the cross of Calvary. So Jesus, he earned that right. And notice this plague of the darkness of God's wrath, Jesus suffered for you and for me. Three days of darkness here, three hours of darkness that was the intensity of hell, and the equivalency of an eternity because he satisfied the justice of God. Here, the darkness was not satisfying the justice of God. It was just a preliminary darkness for hell itself. The darkness of Calvary was the satisfaction of the justice of God. Jesus is cast out. Jesus is the one who, as it were, can't see himself. Isn't that amazing? He's forsaken. He, He says... My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He's so puzzled and in consternation on Calvary because of that darkness. But it's all voluntary. He can't move off the cross and he won't. Because he will do the will of the Father. Well, now, that's us, beloved, people of God. People of the light. Are we? People of the light. The Israelites were people of the light. And God commanded them to go out and they went out. It would be that tenth plague, that amazing sacrifice of the Lamb and the passing over by the angel of death their homes and their firstborn, and they went out. We go out. We've been delivered. By the regenerating work of the Christ of the cross and of the resurrection and of the Holy Spirit. We're out. Not only that, we've been let to go up into the glories of heaven. Amazing. Completely out of sin and death and guilt and Pharaoh's grips with our families, with all our herds, everything being consecrated to God. And his service. And now, we go to this last part. We have a message to, t- to tell. Remember the purposes? One, that God be glorified. Then, that you tell the world, starting at your sons and your sons' sons. And your daughters and your daughters' daughters. And your wife and your husband and the next fellow and the neighbor and the sinner, the Egyptian, Or the Israelite who's not acting like the Israelite. Or the Israelite who is acting like the Israelites. And together you commune about this marvelous, distinguishing love of God and that light. We have a message to tell. Tell your son and your sons' sons the mighty things I've done in Egypt. My sign which I've done among them that you may know that I am the Lord. Tell the world. Speak. Declare. Say to the pharaohs, let my people go. Say to the Egyptians, you got to go. Don't be in bondage to this world anymore. We shine to the generations and also to the end of the world. There's an example of that this morning. This young man, Kadash Kaskin, going back to Turkey, and we might say that's a worse place than the hardest place to preach the gospel ever I doubt it but it certainly is hard persecution can't say bad things about Allah Muhammad can't declare like I do off here that Allah is a false God Muhammad is a false prophet and every other religion that's not the true religion of Christianity is false but that's what we do here isn't it We fight a war. It's against Pharaoh all the time. It's against Egypt all the time. Because we've won and because we're going to win and because Jesus is coming again, so we go to the ends of the world, we shine. As we do this, we're going to be called a snare by Pharaoh's servants, just like Moses was. That man is a snare. What a pain in the neck. No. What a problem this man is. He won't let us be Egypt. He won't let there be status quo. He won't let the sons of God and the daughters of God be here anymore. He's shaking up the place. And look, Pharaoh, the whole land is destroyed. And I can imagine, beloved, that's what the world increasingly is saying of us. As we stand in a thorn of the flesh, uh, we are to the world. And the stumbling block is the Jesus we preach. They'll say, we have no place for you. Get out of here. And, of course, because you can't leave the world, they're saying you must die. You must die. Pharaoh threatens death. Should Moses see him again? Moses pronounces death because he will not see Pharaoh again. Again. One last thing. The people of God, you might imagine what they could have done in the darkness. Three days, right? Maybe after the first day, they're thinking, maybe they've looked out all around the neighbors. All of Egypt is dark. And the house, there's no lights on the house. Maybe they're all dead. Maybe they could have snuck out. Snuck out of Egypt just like that. But no, couldn't. God would not let them do that because they'll go out with a high hand. That's what he says in Isaiah. And I quote this, and this is my concluding word, the word of God Isaiah 52. The Lord has made bare his holy arm, verse 10. In the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of God. Remember, that's the purpose of these plagues. Now, this Depart, depart, go out from there, from the world. Touch not the unclean thing, go out from the midst of her, be clean, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. This is what God's saying in the Exodus For you shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Israel is going to go out, and they're going to go out in triumphant glory in the Exodus to the glory of God. You see, salvation is nothing to be ashamed of. Never was, never is, never shall be. But it's everything to delight in the light of God in the midst of the darkness and a message to say to this world, a purpose to live, a reason to live, to shine the light of Jesus' life in you and his truth that sets us free. Amen. We thank you, Lord, for the word. We ask that you would help us to digest it a lot here, but a lot of love here. Tremendous amount of love from heaven. Love that comes with the truth and says to each of us personally, I love you. I shine in your darkness. Remember that. Remember when your way is dark, when you're, you're fumbling around, what it is to be a child of light, what it is to be free. It is to be comforted with our only comfort in life and death. Thanks for saying that tonight, Lord. Continue to set us free. For Christ has died and risen and is coming again. Our light. Amen.